Good morning, church. It's father to you, sir. Um, Would you stand up? Speaking of fathers, um, let's direct our attention to God the Father. Amen? Um, Lord, we invite you to change us this morning. Lord, we invite you um, to transform us from our old selves into um, a new creation. God, we want to look and act and think like you. We want to bring you glory. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, Anthony and I are up here by ourselves, so we would love loud singing and clapping and haranguing for Jesus. Not for us, but for Jesus. Group effort, okay? So... Here we go. This is the clapping part. There you go. We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. We opened the prison doors, he parted the raging seas, my God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. And shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We're gonna sing it again. Let's go. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We 
something and you just said whoa right have you ever seen something you said whoa right come on I want you to think about something that God has created I I like going out into the woods Uh, who likes going to the lake oh come on we got some lake people I guess we are a bit of a coastal water town who likes going out into the woods Who likes going hiking? Come on, this is the Pacific Northwest. In order to be saved, you have to like to go hiking. Okay, just kidding, just kidding. Disclaimer, pastor, that's not true. I'm sorry, it's Jesus. I want you to, just in your mind's eye, I want you to think about something that God has done. Maybe in your life, uh, maybe you've gone out to the beach, maybe went clamming, and you just thought, whoa, my God is big. My God is good. And all this stuff that I can see, and all this stuff that I can hear, and all this stuff that I can feel, God did something even bigger and better when he sent his son. Amen? All right, sing with me.
center 
Should I wander? You're my future, and you redeem my past every moment and then forever. Only, only Jesus. Let my heart walk for nothing but you, just you. Let my heart walk for nothing but you, just you. The riches of this world could never satisfy. Let my heart walk for only you. Let my heart walk for excited by having me up here now. Uh, a couple things. One, uh, one announcement and then we're going to talk about the offering. But um, this Tuesday at 6 o'clock we're having a marriage kind of, I don't know what we, we want to call it, but we're having a marriage something. Starts at 6 o'clock. We don't have child care so make it a date night because you're going to want to go out and talk about it after you're done. So get a babysitter. Come to the 
class. I, I don't know what you want to call it, but if you're, if you're not married, you're welcome to come. If you are married, you're welcome to come. If you were married, you're welcome to come. If you should be married, you're welcome to come. If you're male or female, you should come. I'm just saying, it's, uh, it, uh, it's, we're taking off from what we taught on the men's night, or men's night, yeah, the men's night, and we're going to kind of expand on it to kind of help the ladies understand kind of their part of it and try to bring you guys together as one. Amen? So I want to do that Tuesday night at uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, in Amos chapter 5, God's trying to chasten the children of Israel. And so I'm trying not to be negative about this, but he's trying to chasten the children of Israel. And he says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing ever stream. And he's talking about, they were talking about the offerings and kind of the heart that people had when they came with, with their offerings. And in the context, what God wanted was his chosen people to obey him by treating people rightly and behaving righteously. And to stop living as hypocrites and idolaters and return to him. So the idea was he wants them to stop doing what they're doing and start being honest and true towards him in relation to offerings. And so uh, I just had the question, if this was an offering that signified a return to God for you, what would it look like? If you had an offering that you were going to give that signified a return to God, what would it look like? Let's pray about that. Father, we just pray that you are pleased with us. But Father, we, we, we know the answer to that because we know the truth of our hearts when it comes to uh, honoring you. So Father, I just pray today, this morning, that you would encourage our hearts to examine ourselves and to see, are we being hypocritical in our faith or are we being honest in our faith? Are we, are we doing the right things with our faith? Or are we doing the wrong things with our faith? And in doing so, if we're not doing what we should be, Father, encourage our hearts to get things right today because you are a loving, gracious God and you want us to come back to you and you provide opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for, for us to come back. And so, Father, we just pray that you, you open our hearts up to be honest with you today. And if we're coming back to you, be honest in our offerings. We love you and we thank you in Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. one more song.
Come on, you guys sound good. Keep going. got that option. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. And you may be seated and let's dismiss the kids at this time. Dismiss the kids. Thank you guys. I got my phone up here. I got to shut it off because I never have my phone when I'm preaching except when I can't read. Morning, New Life. Turn lights on, turn lights off. I can't see, can't see. Pastor Mark did an awesome job last week, did he not? That was a six o'clock phone call that he got ready with to, to preach that sermon. Got to have guys around that can throw something together that quickly, that good. Amen, that was amazing.
I was all ready to go, and now I'm slowing down. So let's pray. Can we do that? Can we pray? Father, you are not an empty God, nor are you distant. You are very much present in power right now. We need to hear from you today. You would open our hearts and that we would respond according to your word. Father, you know that I am uncomfortable with what I'm presenting today, but you made it very clear this is what you wanted for this moment and this time. So we seek your person and your presence and your power. I ask that you would open my eyes up to to your truth that I can relate it in a way that you want because I want to please you today. I hope that's what all of us want today in this room. Encourage your hearts to seek your face. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The first five chapters of Isaiah's written prophecies are filled with prophetic statements about Jerusalem and Judah. If you study the first five chapters, you see that Isaiah says that people have become a whore. That's a good introduction to new life. I mean, that's when in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Isaiah, that's what God calls you. That's kind of a wake-up call. He says justice doesn't exist in verse 23 of chapter 1. He says the land is filled with idols in chapter 2 and verse 8. He says the people are proud, chapter 2, verse 11. He says they're drunks, chapter 5, verse 11. God says they're full of iniquity, chapter 5 and verse 20. And Isaiah goes as far to say that the people of God have forsaken Yahweh themselves. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4. And in verse 14, Yahweh has grown tired of this adulterous people and he's about to send them into exile. So when you approach the scripture, especially the book of Isaiah... This is a pretty heavy book. As we learned a couple weeks ago, Isaiah had just experienced a destabilizing event. It moved him to seek God. In seeking God, he found angelic beings in humility and constant service, which if the angels in, before the throne of God are, are in humility and constant service, so should everyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. From the very words, Isaiah recognized the power of the holiness of God. When he cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And God's light shined on Isaiah and it exposed his internal and his external sin. His internal being, I'm a man of unclean lips, but I choose to live around people of unclean lips. I choose to live around sinners. And it moved Isaiah to repent and confess. Man, I wish we would see more repentance and confession amongst God's people. Amen. Caused an angel to offer Isaiah the cleansing of a sin by the atonement of a Savior, removing Isaiah's guilt. And that's where we are so far. And we've been in this 
book for, I don't know how long we've been in it, a couple of months, and I'm stuck in Isaiah chapter 6. As I prayed over this two weeks ago, because, and I'm only sharing this with you because you need to understand some things that this is not just a TED talk or a TikTok. I don't need you taking little things that I say and saying, oh, let's, let's just share that with everybody. That's not what this is about. This is a truth walk. Preaching is a truth walk. And I prayed over this a couple of weeks ago. And I was standing right about here reading the passage I'm about to read and I felt this sickness in my stomach. And it immediately brought me to Revelation chapter 10 and verse 9, which says, John said, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. That's the word of God. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and, and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I was eaten in my stomach, was made, when, when I had eaten it, it made my stomach bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy to the peoples and nations and languages and kings. So, I felt that sickness in my stomach and I was immediately brought to the scripture. So God was trying to speak to me at that moment about this moment in time. So Saturday I was prepping all day for what I'm going to preach to you today. I'm using the exact same sermon that I prepped on Saturday. And about 9 o'clock at night, I had this horrible stomach pain come back upon me. And it lasted till about 3 in the morning, and, and then I realized I wasn't going to preach the next day because of whatever was happening within me. I called Mark at 6 o'clock, and luckily he answered his phone, wasn't sleeping in on Sunday. <laughs> and I was sick to my stomach until, my stomach was sour is the word that I want to use. My stomach was sour until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Last Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it just went away. I mean, literally, like, I was at one point bent over hurting, and then the next moment, I was absolutely fine. God was trying to tell me something about this moment in time. He was trying to tell me something so important that he said, I'm going to take you out of preaching on a Sunday with a sermon you've already prepared because I've got something for your people that's more than just a TED Talk or a TikTok. See, it's been said that every revelation of God's word that is given to you is bittersweet as it sort of shows judgment, but it also shows mercy. Now, I was planning on speaking just on a simple subject. That's what I really wanted to do is just preach on a simple subject last Thursday. Something exciting, something fun, something uplifting, something where you all would like me. And at the end of the sermon, you would lift me up on your shoulders and carry me out saying, Pastor Andy's the greatest. Like, yes, I am. And then God would have struck me down dead. So I'm glad that didn't happen. It is an understatement to say that Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, it is an understatement to say it is full of biblical truth. God's trying to tell me something, and I'm trying to rush through it. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 13, you'll find God musing, 
You will find Isaiah surrendering. You will find an impossible task given. You will find a depressing passage of scripture that is quoted by Jesus himself in all four gospels and the apostle Paul in the book of Acts. One passage of scripture repeated in all four gospels and the book of Acts. We are going to study that out in a couple of weeks. You will find this passage involves God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit. You will see in this passage of scripture, it talks about Israel as a nation, Isaiah as a preacher, and even us as Gentiles. We could talk about God in this passage, the Savior in this passage, the Spirit in this passage. We could talk about Isaiah. We could talk about preachers. We could talk about me and my ministry. We could talk about the people of Israel, the people of God, the church of God, the Christians, and those who are not Christians. All in this one passage. We can view this passage through almost every facet of life and it would keep us busy for a while. I could do that. And just so you know, so I don't get sick to my stomach again, I'm going to just keep doing whatever he wants me to do, whether you get bored or not. There's a lot here, guys. There's, it amazes me how much truth is contained in such a small section of scripture and that could be replicated in numerous places in the Bible Isaiah in our passage is still in the throne room of God and he hears God musing he says I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then I said here am I send me God asked the question whom shall I send? I don't believe it's a question that God doesn't know the answer to. I believe it's part of a heavenly conversation that happens all the time. It wasn't the question that God was using to manipulate Isaiah. Have you ever had somebody say, who, sh who, sh who will go for us? And you'll say, well, I'll go. Nobody else will. Kind of been manipulated into doing it because somebody asked if you would help. I don't believe that's what was happening. See, I believe because God is holy, it's part of a heavenly conversation that happens all the time. God says, whom shall I send? There is a very specific mission that required a very specific person. It didn't require every person or just any person, but one that God had specifically chosen. And why this is important is because we, we live in a world that believes that if I'm going to go to church, I want somebody to talk to me about me. The sermon has to be about me. What if it's not about you today? Is it still worth being here? Yes. Whom shall I send? And the second part of this question is just as important where he says, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Who's God talking about? God and the angelic beings? No, because they're busy worshiping him and serving him. God and the 24 elders? No, because they're just worshiping God too. Or is this us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? He's got a specific mission for a specific person at a specific time to a specific people. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, when you go in, in the calling of God, you've got to go with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
You can't just go with one. You've got to have all three. You've got to have God's leadership. You've got to have Jesus' sal- salvation and his sacrifice. You've got to have the Holy Spirit's presence and person and power to do the work of God that God's called us to. Now, what most people want to focus on, what most people, when they read the Bible, especially Isaiah chapter 6, what they want to focus on is Isaiah's statement, Here am I, send me. And there's nothing really necessarily wrong with that because Isaiah was silenced by sin saying, Woe is me, and now he speaks clearly through salvation saying, Send me. Sin silences us, but once we're forgiven of that sin, we, we, we want to serve God then. I mean, I, I, I love the idea that that's a part of the, the scriptural truth. Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Here am I, send me. And we could all sit around and say, here am I, send me, here am I, send me, here am I, send me. But really, is that what God is asking in the moment? God's people as a nation were rebelling against God's word and God needed to get the right man to speak to them at that moment. None of that made me sick to my stomach. That would be fun. We could sit here and have a hallelujah day. I mean, I've done it before. I've used that passage of scripture to make everybody feel good about themselves, that you all get to surrender to God and what you want to surrender to. But this is what made me sick to my stomach. Isaiah 6, 9. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah, make the heart of this people dull and make their ears heavy and make their eyes blind. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That seems kind of out of place, doesn't it? I want you to go. Isaiah, you're the one. I'm cho- I've chosen you to go, but you're not going to succeed. I want you to go do this for me, but you're not going to succeed. Have you ever surrendered yourself to something before you knew what you were surrendering to? I think of motherhood. I've listened to women give birth from another room down the hall and when you first got pregnant and you had this wonderful pregnancy and everything was good and you thought this motherhood thing's going to be great until that thing comes out then it's, then you start questioning is this i didn't really s- sign up for this or maybe your baby doesn't sleep like you had this image of motherhood being this cute little baby that sleeps all the time and giggles and laughs and never goes to the bathroom on itself i mean it's just this wonderful experience, and then you find out your child just won't sleep and just cries all the time. Any of you ever have one of those children that just cried all the time? I think about it in marriage. How you get married, and you got this vision of marriage. And you're so excited about marriage, and you surrender, I want to get married, and we're going to get married, and we got married, and this is awesome, this is wonderful, and then all of a sudden you realize marriage isn't easy. Because you have to live with another person forever. And they're not the person that you thought they were. Because once you get married and it's legal, then everything changes. Like you, you, the, the person you married changes. They're not the same person. Now all the things they were hiding from you come to, to light. And you thought, I didn't sign up for this. How about moving? 
Have you ever surrendered to moving somebody? And in your mind, here's your image of moving somebody. They say, show up at 9 o'clock. You show up at 9 o'clock. The truck is there. The door is open. The, 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 the thing is down. Boxes are in the front yard. Everything's organized. You go into the house. You unload their furniture. You put it in the truck. You take the boxes. You put it in the truck. It is now 9.30, and you close the truck up. You drive out of the new house. It is one level. You open the door, you unload the truck, you put the boxes in the house, you put the furniture in the house, you close up the door. It is now 10.35, and they buy you pizza. It has been delivered at 10.35. You eat the pizza, you go home, it's 11 o'clock, you spend the rest of the day with your family. That's a great moving experience. (laughs) But not everybody does that. Because sometimes you show up at 9 o'clock and there's no truck. And no boxes. And they send you to get the truck. And then they send somebody else to get the boxes. Or they tell you to get boxes when you get the truck. And you show up back up with the truck at 10 o'clock. And they haven't packed a thing yet. And they say, would you help us pack? So you help them pack. And then you load their furniture up. And then you load their stuff up that are in the boxes. Now it's 12.05. And you're starving. And they say, now, could you help me clean my house? Because I haven't cleaned it in five years. But I got to have it clean before I leave. So you spend time cleaning the house. Now it's five o'clock by the time you get out of the house and you drive over to the house. And it's got three levels. I helped move somebody one time. We had to actually throw a couch over the side of the Riverine Apartments. Throw the couch over the side and lower it down with ropes. Because we couldn't get it down any other way. So you show up and you unload the, the truck and... They ask you, hey, by the way, would you mind unloading the boxes? It is now 9 o'clock, and you haven't eaten all day. And they're, they're thanking you, which is great, but that's not what you signed up for. You signed up for the first move, not the second. Isaiah said, send me before he knew what he was being sent to. Isaiah said, send me before he knew what he was being sent to. If you've ever moved somebody like that, some of you are gracious people. I'm not that gracious. I've done it enough times now that if you ask me to move, I don't care if you're the first one or the second one. I'm not helping you move. I'm just, it just always turns out bad for me. Which brings me to the point that I feel pressed to provide for this congregation. I say this because I don't know of very many people who will surrender to something that won't succeed. I think there's a lot of people that will not surrender if they won't succeed. Like if God says, I want you to do this, but you're not going to succeed at it. Most of you would say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. If if it's not going to be successful, then why am I going to do it? Because it's not really about you. According to Jesus, success is to be last, not first. But if you're last... You're upset because you're not first. Well, I surrender to God. I should be first. No, no, no. Jesus said, last is best. First is worst. But that's not the way we think. To Jesus, success is selling all you have, giving it to the poor, and following Jesus, and you'll have treasure in heaven. You will not have treasure on earth. I want you to... Serve me, I want you to surrender your life to me, but you're not going to get rich on earth doing it. 
Most people, most Americans especially, most American Christians today, if they're not going to succeed, they're not going to surrender. To Jesus, success is giving all you have and truly believing, believing that God is all you need when you give your offering. But we'll give offerings only if we're going to get something back from it. To Jesus, success is walking away from your safe life and go fishing for men. But evangelism is too hard, so we're just going to sit around. We're just going to talk about what the Bible says. We're not going to share the gospel. The gospel seems to be important from a doctrinal standpoint, but not from a doing standpoint. Why? Because it's so hard to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people because they don't listen and they don't receive it in the way that we think we should see success. According to Jesus, success is hurting for the purpose of humility if it proves the Lord's sufficiency. Are you with me? That's success. If you're going to serve me, I'm going to have to humble you, meaning I'm going to have to cripple you to do the work of God. But if it's going to be crippling, I'm not going to... See, this is not what you're hearing from American pulpits today. What you're hearing is, you're going to succeed you surrender, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to grow. It's going to be huge. You're going to be popular. People are going to like you. Isaiah's mission was to create messages. Make for the people. Make for them. Create messages that made the hearers not feel anything. Isaiah, I want you to go preach to the people. I want you to go preach the word of God to them, but I don't, they're not going to feel anything. So make, make a sermon that they don't feel. They don't get emotional about. Make the hearers not comprehend them. So I want you to preach, but preach in a way that they don't get, a, get what you're saying. They never get the point. Isaiah's mission was to create messages that made the hearers bored by them. Now, every time I hear somebody say, well, I'm not being fed, I just laugh because you're who God is talking about. I'm supposed to bore you to death. It doesn't sound anything like what modern preachers are going for today because modern believers have come to expect emotion, education, entertainment, and inclusion. That's what you want from the word of God. That's what you want from the preaching. That's what you want from the pulpit. That's what you want from a man of God. You want to fully understand and comprehend every scriptural nuance that's presented. And if it's not explained, you're not going to listen. The internet's full of preachers who are trying to break you, teach you, and excite you, and you're drawn to them. But few of them will ever ask you to surrender to something that will not be successful. This is anti-American Christianity today. I'm going to mention this quickly just because we're going to go into this more deeply. But the reason God did this was to show that only those moved by the Holy Spirit of God would come to know the truth. Amen. He says, he that has the ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. We're going to get into this in more detail pretty soon. In Acts chapter 2, Luke records that when Peter preached to the people, it wasn't the sermon that transformed him, it was the being pricked in the heart by the Holy Spirit. 
that caused them to say, men and brethren, what should we do? And they repented of their sin and received Christ as their Savior. Jesus said the way to eternal life is narrow and few find it. Jesus says you're going to go sow seed and you're going to sow seed. And it's going to, the devil's going to take some of it away and, the devil's, and some of it's going to be in hard ground and some of it's going to be uh, uh, in, um, going to grow up a little bit and then die and then some of it's going to be uh, received for a while and be exciting. And then when things get hard, it's, it's going to die away. And only a small percentage of the seed that you sow will actually grow fruit that will bear fruit. Am I not, is that not what the scripture says? Am I out of line here somewhere? Isaiah surrendered to a ministry that was going to frustrate him. How do we know that? Because 28 years later, he preaches, he teaches or writes the greatest Old Testament passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. 28 years after Isaiah 6. And he says, who has believed what he has heard from us? He says, I've been preaching for 28 years. and <laughs> Who's listening? That's a preacher's frustration. But that's what he was called to. It relates to a universal rejection of the word of God, even by the very people of God. Isaiah then asks a question that I think is important for all of us to understand. He says, how long, O oh Lord? How long do I got to do this? It's not a question he asks at first, and that's never a question. We never ask how long at first. Because we're flying high off of forgiveness, and we would do anything for God. You get saved, you get on fire for Jesus, you would do anything for God until it gets hard. And then you start pulling back and saying, I'm not sure if this is exactly what I signed up for. This is not easy. I'm not being successful. It must be something in the way that I'm doing it. I must change the way I'm doing it because that would make people happy. See, it's a question that he asked after he heard what it was going to look like. God's word says you're going to suffer and not succeed as men succeed. Here am I, send me. Okay, you're going to suffer and not succeed as men succeed. Again, I understand his response. If it's only for a couple of days, I can put up with it. If it's for a couple of months, I can get it. If it's for maybe a few years. If it's going to be, if, if following you, if, if serving you is going to be hard for a few years, I'll serve you for a few years. But you know as well as I do, what happens is after those few years, you quit because it's too hard. Because you're not succeeding. Because the ministry is not doing what you think it should be doing. Because we look at things through the secular eyes, not through the spiritual eyes of God. He says, share my word until everything's destroyed and lives are desolate. Wait till... <laughs> I just wanted to preach, here am I, send me. That would be so much more fun. This is your calling until I remove everyone who rebels against me, God says. God said, preach until there is ruin. Preach until their lives are ruined. 
Now, he said, I'll give you one hope. He said, I'll leave a remnant. But even the remnant, which we're going to study in a couple of weeks, will experience future judgment. So there will be a few who will hear what you're saying and who will follow along. But there are going to be a few, and they're going to face future judgment, and many of them will probably quit too. Do you know this is a common trait in the biblical narrative? This is what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. That we experience this destabilizing event, seek God, find God in our holiness, in, in God's holiness, find ourselves in our sinfulness, confess our sins to God, be cleansed from our sin from God because we've confessed it, then surrender our lives to following God even before we know what He's asked of us. It's common. Noah did this, Abraham did this, Moses did this, David did this, Isaiah did this, Jeremiah did this, the disciples did this. Jesus said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they said, that, That's great. Three years into it, he says, oh yeah, by the way, you're all going to lose your lives. And people are going to reject you, and people are going to crucify you, and people are going to hurt you, and people are going to harm you. You're not going to succeed the way the world would say you're going to succeed. Even John, who's, who wasn't murdered by um, the Jews, was boiled in oil and survived, which I think being a crispy critter would be worse than, just think of the pain that he was in. All because God called them specifically to serve him without success in the eyes of the world. There's a lot more to this point, but I don't want to go any further because I, I, I just don't know if I'm ready to tell you what else his word is saying. I'm, I'm unsure that God's people in this day and age are ready to hear what God is actually saying. What I want you to understand is that preachers surrender their lives to something that is out of their control. It is not in the control of the preacher to grow a church to reach the world and by itself. To preach sermons that make you feel happy and joyful and comfortable. It's not in our power for you to get what we say. So I'm, I don't, I'm not able to craft a sermon that you're going to understand everything's being said in the moment. Some of the most holy men of God I have ever known pastored dead and dying churches. And you would look at them and say, they have never they haven't done anything for the kingdom of God. But I'll tell you, people who pastor dead and dying churches have more passion and prayer than people who are pastoring popular places. But that's not how we look at it. We, look at, we still look at it through the secular eyes. If they would just organize their church better, it would grow. God says, preach, and they're not going to hear. Preach the truth. Preach it out. Preach it straight. Say what I've said to them. And, and just by the way, make it to where they don't get it without the Holy Spirit. It's not in my power for you to get it from me. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that gives you what God is saying to you in the moment through the preaching of the Word of God. If they knew how to speak better, people would respond. It's not in my words of wisdom. It's in His words that you surrender to. 
if they were better looking. Which I know that's really hard for me to say because I am the best looking preacher in town. And I'm the most humble too. If they're better looking, you know, it amazes me that if, if, if a church looks for a pastor, they don't look for a guy who's been experienced and who's been through the fire and who's fought a good fight. They look for some young guy who's got a young family that barely has his family together. And you make him their pastor. And he hasn't experienced nothing in the scriptures other than what he's learned in his head. But he hasn't actually lived it in his life. And you go finding that guy and say, well, this is, this is the greatest pastor on the planet because he speaks well. And he looks good. If there's this popular worship team, we've been there. Come on now, church. If the worship was better, I'd, I'd attend more faithfully. There must be a reason why there's no good worship team. It can't be that the Holy Spirit's not getting through to people. If they had these things, their ministry would be worthy of praise, and they would be worthy of praise. Sorry, I'm trying to read my handwriting. See, we have a tendency to praise pastors for what they produce. And if they're not producing successful ministry, then you think there must be something wrong with them. There must be a problem with the preacher and the preaching. It might just be that's the promise that God gave him, that you're going to preach and you're going to have nothing happen. Amen. See, I think the truth is, like Isaiah and many others, when God calls men of God specifically, and it's acknowledged by the men of God surrounding him that they are called of God, not by the congregation. The words in our mouth are sweet, but the work that we do can make men sick. Paul said this, and it makes perfect sense to me in this moment in time in my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. But that's what we're looking for. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about people getting saved, being born again, having their sins forgiven. No, no, no. We want sermons that are deep and help us to grow deeper. Read your own Bible. It's not like you don't have 14 of them on your shelf. Pick and choose one and just get into the dumb thing. Start reading it. And then bring people that you either lead to Christ in the world to church or you either bring people that need to be led to Christ to church. Elsie and I will win Christ if you won't. You just bring them up. Right, Elsie? We got nothing else to do with our lives. I'm getting off. I decided to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not of plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's about how the Spirit of God works in your heart, and I can't control that. 
I can't control whether you're obedient to the word of God. I can't control whether you're humbled in your sin. I can't control the, the fact that you will, will, will repent or won't repent. I just have to preach what God says to preach. And let him produce the fruit that he wants to produce. I guess I feel like I was preaching this so that you understand that every man of God is not important. The message is. And preachers need to understand it's not about you. It's about him. And you need to understand it's not about me. It's about the word of God. But every church needs to know that you may not answer to God for the success or failure of this ministry, but you will, respond, you will answer to how you responded to the preaching of the word of God that happened in that place. You won't answer to whether this church is successful or not. You will answer to whether you heard the word of God and responded in humility and honesty. Reading the stories of these men of God throughout history, I think what's important is for you to know that God is calling a few to an impossible task. This is the most impossible task I've ever had in my life. And if men and women are not open to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how pretty the words are or organized the ministry is, how popular the worship team is. It's unsuccessful in the eyes of God. I think what you will be responsible for is how you've supported the man of God who's preached the word of God in your life. Can you see why this made me sick to my stomach? Some of you will have ears to hear what the Spirit says today. Some won't. I have come to that conclusion. If God has not opened your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your heart to understand, then he has not graced you with faith. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. We're going to get into this passage a little bit more here in a week or two. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will be not forgiven, either in this age or this age to come. God told Isaiah, go preach the word. But it's going to be my spirit that changes them. And it's easy to reject the spirit of God because you're focusing on the man of God and the message that he gives you, not on the message of God. And that's the unpardonable sin, to reject what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. So I tried to figure out, how do I close this up? Because this isn't a normal Sunday morning sermon. And I was like, come on, can we just hear my send me? Let's just celebrate and have a good time and go home. And he said, no, I'm going to make you sick until you preach what I want you to preach. See, I think all we have left to do is pray for those who have surrendered to their earthly success to the eternal success of God. 
Let me just read some scripture real quick and then we'll be done. Paul said this in Romans chapter 15 because I believe Paul wrote the book of Romans. Uh, if you want to argue that point, shut up. Because it's not important. But I believe the Apostle Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. I believe every man of God ought to have people in their life that pray with them in such a way that cause them to be happy to be around them. That they know that there are people that are praying for them that are and, and they communicate that well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. Paul said, on him we have set our hope in that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Your preachers should be blessed in such a way that people notice that you've been praying for them. That's what it's saying. I can tell we're having fun today. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We should be praying for each other. And also for me, Paul says, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of of the gospel. Philippians 1.19 For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out to my deliverance. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ an account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak Philemon verse 22 says at the same time prepare a guest room for me for I'm hoping that through your prayers I may be graciously given to you In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. Preachers have been given an impossible task to preach the word of God to a people that without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to make a difference. And every week, I stand in this pulpit and preach the word of God to you. Every time I get the, Every chance I get the opportunity to knowing that I'm not going to be successful the way the world thinks success is. I want to believe that everyone in the room is going to repent of their sin and come to Jesus and get things right with God. That's my desire. That's my want. And I, and I have this belief that y'all are just going to fall on your face in front of God and just start confessing sin and being cleansed of your sin and being made brand new. But I also know that there are weeks like this week which I probably won't move you at all.
And next week, there will be fewer of you than the week before. But I said, here am I, send me. Before I knew what I was being sent to. I'm concerned about this next generation of young men and women who surrender for ministry. Because if it's not successful, they quit easy. Amen. They cry a lot too. It's not going to be easier. People are less in tune with the Holy Spirit than they've ever been before. And they reject the word of God if it's not popular or powerful or pretty and they're drawn to false teachers and false prophets like I'm, I'm just shocked because what they don't see in the pulpit is what they think they should see in the world can I just throw this in here and we'll be done I don't believe that most people, Christians today, and I'm talking about Christians, if the Apostle Paul planted a church in Astoria, I don't believe most of you would attend Paul's church because he's not the prototypical preacher that people are drawn to. You like them young. You like them to speak well. You like them to explain things well. You like them to tell funny stories. You like them to organize the church in a way that makes you feel comfortable because it's all organized. But you don't want a man of God. See, this series is called Risky Faith, and I believe that today was very risky for me at least. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me. I'm just trying to do what God's called me to do with what tools he's given me. And the tools he gave me are not transferable to success in the world. If the spirit of God doesn't move in your hearts, doesn't change your life, then, then I can't do anything about that. I cannot save you. I don't have the ability to. I am not perfect. I cannot get you to surrender to God. I cannot get you, because I'm going to tell you, if you're going to surrender, it's not going to be successful the way you think it's going to be. And most people won't sign up for that. Unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and says, it's still what I want you to do. Now that we're all uncomfortable, let's stand if we could. Father, you know my heart. You know that I couldn't have preached this 20 years ago in fact I would say that I wouldn't have preached it 20 years ago Father I don't believe I was honest about the word of God and the ways of God as much as I feel like I can be now Father you've heard me confess numerous times that If I knew what this was going to be like, I probably would have said, send somebody else. 
but I want to be faithful to not just your word, but my word. Father, I can't I don't even know what what I'm saying if it relates to them today at all. I was not attempting to do that. I was attempting to just preach what you told me to preach. Their response is in your hands. If it was not for Jesus Christ, I could not pray to you. So in your name I pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I don't know what the Spirit of God has been speaking to you about today. But Angelo, can we get some background music going? And I'm just going to leave this altar open for you. Maybe you've been one that's judged preachers for their ministry size or shape or form. And I'm just going to say that's not for you to do. Your responsibility, according to the Apostle Paul, is to pray for us. Because we've been given an impossible task in our power. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything that we do. And when you criticize and critique it, you're just criticizing and complaining about the Holy Spirit of God. If you were standing in the presence of God, how would God view your response to the man of God with the Word of God? Would you see that you're a man or a woman of unclean lips and you dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips? Or would God be pleased with the way that you pray for your pastor? Altars open. Father, if they won't start, I'll start. I confess the sin of criticizing a man's ministry based on his the size, the shape, or the form.
when every man's called to a different people. I confess the sin of criticizing the Holy Spirit for not working in ways that I think they should, that's in the ways of success of the world. Instead of praying for those men and women, I've criticized them. It makes me sick to my stomach to think that somebody who knows you the way that I say I know you do not respect your word the way that I should. Whom shall I send? You say. Who will go for us? And who would do it if we can't succeed without the Holy Spirit? Father, this was heavy today for me. I don't know about them, for me. Do your work with it as only you can. Because if I don't say these things to this generation, the next generation is going to have to say it and it's going to be harder for them. We love you, Jesus. Come on, church. We love you, Jesus. And we should love every preacher that surrenders to the ministry of God. No matter what size their church is, shape it is, sound that you hear coming out of it. If they've surrendered to God, they've surrendered to an impossible task. Encourage your hearts as we leave this place, Lord God, to be mindful of praying for those who you've put in our place. To preach the word of God the people of God. We love you in Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Guys, thanks for coming today. Have a great afternoon. It's still muggy.